Hey there, this is the end of our Bible series. If you haven't been listening, you know, we're, what, nine? This is our ninth episode in the series. Um, so there have been eight episodes where we've been talking all things Bible and Bible interpretation and all those things. So it might be helpful uh, if you went back and listened to those. Um, but we loved getting to, you know, to hear your questions. Thanks for sending those in. So we're going to talk about them in this Q&R episode. We're a forum for discussion on the issues that are ruminating in the minds of churchgoers, but that are often not raised from the pulpit. Too long has the church shied away from grappling with tough questions and nuanced issues. We're your hosts. I'm Riker Zalameta. I'm Lucas Manning. Welcome to Questions from the Pew, where faith and culture meet. episode we haven't done one of these let's in a while. go it has been a while we actually got some questions which is actually <laughs> you're not supposed to tell people we don't oh, get well, questions no 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 <laughs> yeah the whole premise questions of the show is help. just gone <laughs> yeah questions help in a questions and response episode <laughs> you know mildly vital no but yeah yeah we're pumped we got some good questions from you guys the listeners yeah. um we're not able yeah, to do just... all of them um no some of them, I think, we've kind of like reworked and like summarized, maybe brought together some questions um, yep. that were similar. Um, but then other ones, I think we might save for, you know, an episode down Later the road because Q&Rs. it's a bigger yes. conversation. We're not trying to split a Q&R episode into two parts. <laughs> we don't want that. You listeners <laughs> you don't, don't want, want yeah, that. No one wants that. <laughs> yeah. Well, great. Well, yeah, I guess we can just go... Uh, into the first literal question from the pew. Here we go. A question from the pew. All right, first question that we have. Um, I'll just read it off. I'd love to hear you talk about the Palestinian-Israeli or Jerusalem conflict and what the Bible has to say about that current event. Wow. Mm. It's a great question, honestly. Geopolitics. Yes. Not necessarily our wheelhouse, but would love to go there. (laughs) At least from the biblical, you know, starting point, right? I don't know. Yeah. I guess, uh, I mean, I could start. There's a few things that can be said about this. I guess the first one is to just kind of have a, and I'm not the history uh, expert, but just to be aware of a little bit of how we got here is, you know, obviously after the Holocaust and what happened in World War II. uh, Was it the UN? Was that who did it? Or I'm not even sure which entity it was, but one of the post-war agreements was that Israel becomes a state for Jewish people. Um, uh, and at that time, obviously, colonialism, I guess, was seeing its twilight hours, uh, or like the British Empire and that kind of a thing. Um, and so, obviously, you know, the Jewish people were kind of just transplanted to this land that, sure, was their land 2,000 plus years ago. 
Uh, but obviously, you know, there's people living there at that time who've been living there for countless generations, thousands mm-hmm. of years. Um, so it's, you know, it's it's obviously a mess. Yeah. And, well, you know, one thing I want to point out is this isn't the only place where, you know, kind of the colonial tendencies of Europeans have caused a lot of issues in other countries where they pull out of. or So, like, for instance, uh, Sri Lanka, which is... Uh, like my wife's heritage, where her family's from. Uh, you know, the British pulled, well, the British originally set up, uh, basically in that country, there's a minority and a majority, two main groups. The minority is the Tamils, and then the majority is the Singhalese. Uh, and the British said, hey, you Tamil people, if you convert to Christianity, we'll give you education and all the, you know, the nice places in government and positions of power. And obviously, you know, everyone's going to take that offer from the people who are in charge. Uh, so the Tamil people got education, you know, obviously those places of power. But then when the British people, you know, British overlords or whatever you want to say, pulled out, then all of a sudden you have 80% of the population saying, why does 20% of the population have 90% of the power or whatever? Hmm. Uh, and then there's there was obviously uh, a civil war there. started in, the I believe, the 80s, 70s or 80s. Uh, and just ended recently, but there's still obviously horrible, you know, horrible atrocities were committed, but a co- very strong contributing factor to that was, you know, the colonial setup that Great mm. Britain had, and then, you know, now it caused all these issues. I mean, another one that comes to mind is like the India-Pakistan partition thing. There's a lot of, right. there's like a lot of stories like that where the colonial setup was obviously horrible, and then when you know, Great Britain or whoever colonized it pulls out. Basically, there's a huge mess for the native people to figure out, you know, what to do mm-hmm. with. Um, so that's, I mean, I guess that's the first, or maybe even just answering the question, why in the world should I care about what Israel or Palestine does? And I mean, part of it is, you know, clon- like the history of colonialism, which we're all, you know, impacts all of us, has caused a lot of these issues. And I would say is like a, contributing factor to the Israel-Palestine issue. Yeah, yeah. I think, so immediately what comes to mind, I feel like when it comes to this question and like alliance with Israel or, or not, or you know where we position ourselves on that conflict, like the first verse that like people always cite is, um, is Yahweh's promise to Abram in Genesis sure. 12. Right. He says, go from your country, your kindred and your father's house to the land. I will show you and I'll make of you a great nation. Um, And then it goes on. uh, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth um, shall be blessed. Um, Yeah. So I feel like that's always cited for me. Yeah. At least for me a little bit. There's always a little a small part of me that is uncomfortable with citing that um, passage as almost like a a blanket reason to always be aligned with um, with Israel. Um, yes. And maybe people aren't as maybe people aren't using it as a blanket statement. Maybe behind that citation of that verse, they you know, there's a lot of you know theologizing and just thinking and praying about it. I guess I probably shouldn't um, categorize it, you know, broad strokes like that. 
But um, but there are just so many things to consider when it comes to at least you know trying to find a biblical warrant for you know sure. putting putting yourself in one um, place on the spectrum over another. Um, sure. I guess the first thing that comes to my mind is this concept of what a nation is. Right? I'll make of you mm-hmm. a great nation. Um, and yes, you know the Israelites um, hearken back. You know they're they're the descendants of Abraham, um, but certainly the idea of a nation that's in Genesis twelve is different from the modern nation states that we have today. Absolutely. Um, totally. So that's that's the first thing that comes to my mind um, mm-hmm. in terms of a yeah. kind of like a biblical kind of approaching it from a biblical vantage point. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that can be said. And, yeah, I had, or I was going to bring this up, too, because that's always, I've actually had multiple conversations where this, you know, the, the Palestine, Palestine, Palestinian, Israeli conflict conflict comes up. Uh, and then this is a lot of the times where, like, people go is, well, you know, Israel, you know, it says, bless, bless, bless them, and you'll be blessed, curse them, or dishonor them, and, you know, you're, you'll be cursed. Uh, and I think, I guess, the first thing I would say, and once again, I just feel like we have to look at, you know, what is, what's the literary context and the narrative context of, you know, mm-hmm. that promise and that whole narrative. And well, part of, part of how like Genesis and the Pentateuch and I guess the whole Testament works is that it has these like concentric circles. Um, mm. So for instance, uh, in Genesis 1, we have Eden, which is like a region and then within Eden, there's a garden, which is like, you know, uh, just a circle inside of a circle. And then inside that garden, uh, there's like the the tree in the middle of the garden, you know, Adam and Eve being the priests uh, or being the, I guess, the first humans, the caretakers of the garden, mm-hmm. uh, which is, yeah, like the tree of life and that kind of a thing. So there's like the most holy, or, and it's the tabernacle too, right? The most holy place in the middle, right. tree of life. Uh, the Holy of Holies, you know, the garden, and then, like, you know, the outskirts, uh, Eden. And then, obviously, there's, like, the un, unordered outsideness, which is even even further out. Um, and so there's this, there's this thing of God choosing one family, one nation. Um, but he doesn't just choose it because it's like, hey, we, we choose these. I like these people better and I'm choosing them to bless them over and above everyone mm-hmm. else. But the whole reason that he picks one is so that then his abundance can flow out of that chosen people. Right. Uh, so, you know, Abraham and his family were chosen as one family, but the whole point of it, uh, and if you read, you know, more of that Genesis 12 covenant, the whole point is so that you can bless the nations and bless the other people. Mm-hmm. That's literally like the point of right. him choosing Abraham, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, so to me, you know, this, this whole idea of choosing, it's not choosing one over and above everyone else, but it's choosing one by which, you know, almost as a means of blessing everyone else. And Israel was supposed to be a, a nation of priests, mm-hmm. you know, a holy nation, whatever, uh, set apart literally to bless, you know, the nations around it. So that's where, to me, when you're cursing Abraham in Genesis, like when it's, or like dishonoring him or whatever, it's less about Abraham and or Israel. And it's more about you're like cursing the bearer of God's presence and mm-hmm. abundance. Right. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. so that's where it's like you're you're just standing against like the goodness of God and what he wants mm-hmm. to do in the world. And so to me that like 
the, I guess what we're supposed to get from that is not that, you know, we should always, no matter what, be on the side of, you know, I, and I guess we're talking about sides and you know what I'm saying? It's, just a, it's an interesting conversation. We're certainly not, you know, political experts. Yeah, yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> but at the same time, I, what I don't think that that promise or that, you know, whatever that literary unit is doing, I don't think that's a, uh, an encouragement for us to just always be on board with a certain group's actions. You mm. know what I'm saying? Cause you can't. And, yeah, right. You shouldn't. Right. I mean, even in the biblical narrative, right? The, exactly. the whole point is that Israel failed to live up to the calling that God had placed on it as a people. Um, and so, yeah, it was supposed to be, you know, that all the families of the earth shall be blessed by you because of their living in covenant relationship. But they failed multiple times, uh, right? And that's what the whole, you know, that's the whole flow essentially of the of the old testament um and interspersing that is god's faithfulness to hold up his end of the promise to bring blessing even out of their failure like it doesn't even the old testament doesn't even excuse their actions like you mm-hmm. said like because in amos uh uh yeah in amos i think i want to say chapter nine but i don't someone might need to check me on that uh but basically like israel's holding up the exodus as like proof that see like yahweh will always be with us because like look what he did in the exodus like it doesn't matter what happens like yahweh will always be on our side and uh, Amos's response is basically, "Oh, like, but you're, like, you're just like any other nation. Uh, you're just like the Cushites. You're just like the. I'm trying to think who else is in there. I don't remember Cushites. It's, that's uh, there's some interesting interpretations. Just racist interpretations. Anyway, I'm not gonna go there. Uh, but like, you're just like every other. And he lists like, didn't didn't this people group get delivered? Didn't this people group get mm-hmm. delivered? You're the same. Like everyone's." like been delivered out of these situations uh so yeah you have the exodus but that doesn't make that doesn't excuse your actions and you're you're going to be held accountable just like other nations are Mm -hmm. um so that's where even in the biblical text we have an example of someone saying hey just because you're god's chosen people doesn't mean you're free of accountability you know what i'm saying yeah yeah no i agree i think as well there's a especially with prophetic texts, um, like apocalyptic texts where he talks about nations rising up against Israel or whatever, um, there's a tendency to read ourselves into the story. And I think this is also mm-hmm. another angle from which people are coming when they're asking kind of questions in this area of Palestine, uh, the Palestinian conflict. Um, yeah, reading ourselves into the story and trying to figure out, okay, which nation in this apocalyptic text or prophetic text is modern day, like, sorry, mm, I'm not making sure. much sense. Which modern yeah, day yeah, nation yeah. matches up with this yeah. nation that 
They try to directly map our modern situation onto like the biblical text. Yeah, yeah. And 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 hopefully, you know, our conversations leading up to this point have have kind of like shown that that's not a helpful way. It's not a responsible way, I think, to interpret or handle the biblical text. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, agreed. No, yeah. Well, yeah. All that to say, I think, like, I don't think literally when the people use you know, if you bless Israel, you'll be blessed. If you curse Israel, you'll be cursed. I don't, I just don't think that that's an accurate interpretation. Mm-hmm. Not even close, actually. Uh, but even here's, I guess this is what I'd say is even if I'm wrong about that and it is, that is what it means. Uh, I still don't think the modern, like what you were saying early, I still don't think like the modern nation state of Israel is even. Uh, is the same entity as like the Old Testament Israel. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they don't, I don't, I mean, they're just a secular state at this point. Like they don't, I don't think they even would. Certainly not the theocracy that. Right. That's what, they're not like the conduit of God's blessing that they were originally, you know, called to be in the Old Testament. So that's where I just, I don't even think they see themselves that way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's where I just wouldn't even connect it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah. So that's where, or sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was just agreeing. Yeah, I mean, so that's where I guess I don't think that it gives them, you know, a special privilege, and I don't think Christians should, you know, I mean, it's a complex situation, so it's, I'm not, I'm not trying to say certainly too much. because you, you at the end of the day you are dealing with a displaced people group, sure, returning to an ancestral homeland, but at the same time were, people are living. In that right. home, but it's it's also been the state of that region, even in the biblical times. Sure, right? you sure. see conflicts of people who are literally who are originally uh, inhabitants of that land, and how do how do we coexist with these people? Sure, that sort of thing. And so it's it's certainly not new. Um, sure, um, I will. Yeah. One thing I will say, um, and maybe. This will tip my hand, but I don't even know if I have a hand, so I can't really tip it. Um, but I have heard that, like, so for instance, when when there is conflict between the two, uh, the two groups, uh, like the Palestinians, I'm this is I'm kind of gonna butcher this, but I'm just just stay with me. Like I think when they attack, they kill like three or four people, and then when Israel attacks, because they're like better equipped. Uh, better trained you know they have like outside uh help coming in i think they kill like a lot more palestinians than palestinians kill israelites uh or israelis i guess uh so that's where a part of me i don't know if this is like an even conflict between two groups you know what i'm saying i think it's a little bit of a there's a more powerful group uh if kill ratio and like those kind of things are anything to go off of so that's where I I will say like that seems a little bit wrong. And once again, I I'm not gonna go any further into it than that because like mm-hmm. I said, I don't I don't even know if I have a position. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I think where I fall is the regular principles of the Bible apply to this situation, uh, especially if we take that promise in its literary context. So basically, just violence is horrible. Human life, you know, is precious, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you know. I guess we should oppo- oppose war wherever we can. Yeah. Um, and it begs the question of how, of in which context can God carry out his promise of blessing the nations through the family line of Abraham? Is it limited to 
the the context of a nation state or are we importing that that limitation onto um, sure. the biblical text I mean it's complex I mean I guess a part of it as Christians I mean there's a lot of disagreement as to you know who are God's people does Israel still have a you know a significant status and that's a very old and uh just an old conversation that's rife with <laughs> rabbit holes that we're not going to go down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. So that's where, I mean, and also, I the, don't know. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Well, the other thing too is like, what do you do with Palestinian Christians? Mm. Right. So I feel like that, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm caricaturing um, people who are, you know, very much much more involved in these conversations than I am. Um, but I feel like that throws a wrench in things, right? So what do you do with that when you're holding up a you know a biblical text as kind of a, the impetus for your falling on one camp or the other? Um, but caught in the crossfire or the crosshairs, whatever the phrase is. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, there are Christians on both sides, uh, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. So it's, I, yeah. I guess well, that's, I'm, wa- yeah. I'm waffling, but I, all that to say, I, I I can't, I don't land in one place or the other. Yeah. But I, what I am saying is, I don't think we can prop up the Bible and say the okay. Bible definitively says you need to be, you know, right. in this position. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's where we land, or that's at least where I land is uh, the Bible is not the Bible doesn't support one group or the other like at this with the modern situation i mean i think we should just think of it like any other modern violent situation which is you know violence is obviously horrible uh yeah human life is sacred and we as christians you know we're told to you know hold it up whenever we can so that's where and then yeah the only thing i would say is if it's one group that's much more powerful than the other that tends to make me say oh we should probably care for the less powerful one but i don't know all of the i'm not going to pretend to be an expert and say that that definitively Uh, but that's what i've heard Mm -hmm. um but yeah so hopefully that offers you some guidance listener we didn't really offer an answer or no guidance (laughs) Yeah, yeah but yeah i mean it was like interesting it's a very interesting conversation and what i've had with people more often than you'd think um, mm-hmm. so it was a good question yeah thank you cool yeah thanks on to the next a question from the pew all right next question and this is another summarized kind of like question Uh, Your discussion on the actuality of the narrative of Jonah brought up a related question. How much weight should we place on the actuality of the flood narrative in Genesis 6 through 9? Mm -hmm. Mm. Valid valid question. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Do you want to start? Yeah, I can. I have got a I've got a few thoughts, I guess. One is. uh, I guess. At one point, at one level, obviously we uh, Christians and um, 
people, I guess people of faith uh, who hold the Bible as an authority, um, we, we place a lot of weight on these narratives, right? But the, what kind of weight should vary depending on the genre. Um, and these, what are called primeval or prehistorical stories are accounts of which there are no eyewitnesses. And then even from internal evidence of internal biblical evidence, so that so that's one, right? So it's primeval in terms of the, the kind of stories it, it tells. It doesn't read sure. the same as a account an account in the Book of Kings or Chronicles, sure. where it's very much concerned with yeah. this kind of primeval meaning like years. origins, right. beginnings. Yeah. Right. And so at that point, then you have to ask the question, well, is it concerned with the actuality and the order and, you know, the details of the events? Or is it communicating something, you know, beyond that? Um, mm. uh, is it is it's focused something else? And I think we've made it clear, you know, kind of where we lie on those kinds of things. Totally. So that's one one thing I would say mm-hmm. um, to that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, it's it's pretty... Uh, common or it's pretty, I guess, accepted that Genesis 1 through 11 is kind of a cosmic introduction to then the more grounded, like, patriarchal narratives in Genesis 12 and onward. So that's where, um, yeah, so I agree. I mean, there's discussion even on the patriarchal narratives because, yeah, and this leads to my second point, is just internal corroboration of accounts. So, like, with the historical books, like, so, you know, the books of Kings and the books of the Chronicles, they tell the story of Israel's demise. So you've got parallel accounts in both of those books. So they're corroborating the events internally, right? So that's sure. that's one level of corroboration. But then externally as well, you've got ancient Near East accounts of the same. And so you can, you've got multiple levels of, um, multiple demonstrations of the historical pursuit in the writing of those texts. You don't get that same kind of approach textually in these early accounts. Sure. These are the only accounts that we have of these stories are are in the biblical text. Um, We've got similar accounts in ancient Near East accounts, but in terms of like creation myths, flood myths, that sort of thing. Sure. And myths, I'm not saying... I think we talked about this before, but myths, I'm not, I'm not using that word to say that it's not true or it's a fairy tale, but myths in terms of um, a saga or an epic tale told to communicate a bigger truth. I guess yes. I'll, I'll define it like that broadly. Sure. But, uh, but yeah, we don't get that same level of corroboration both internally or externally um, about these accounts. So in, in, in you know, getting to the answer or in attempting to answer how much weight should I put on the actuality of the flood event in Genesis 6 through 9, I want to take all of those things into account and use that to guide my, because that's just responsible Bible reading. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's where, I guess, and we've talked about this a lot in this series, but, uh, I mean, Genesis 1 through 11 especially um, lives in the same place as Jonah for me, where I'm concerned with the literary point rather than, you know, the actual events or whatever in history. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing to say is uh, this this idea of like the, I guess, a literal interpretation of Genesis 1 through 11 or, you know, a, I guess a historic, uh, you know, a firm conviction that the historicity of these narratives is imperative. That's not a very old view. You know, if you look at church history, it's not a mainstay that Genesis 1 through 11 is, you know, must be, Mm. you know, historically, you know, I guess what we would say, you know, historically accurate or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a lot of the early church fathers, which I wouldn't say this is maybe the way either, but, you know, took allegorical approaches to these uh, narratives. So, I mean, there's been there's been a wide spectrum of interpretation within church history on these things. I would say it's, you know, maybe our tradition here in the States for the past hundred years or however long that we've made it, you know, historicity is, is central to the meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I think what we should be focusing on from the flood narratives, are, you know, the literary points, you know, what, what is, what does this say about God that, you know, this increasing violence he doesn't stand for. Uh, I mean, there's, there's so many things that, I mean, you could take from the story, you know, of what it's, you know, what it's actually trying to say about the world and about God and about humans. Um, so, yeah, that's, I guess that's what I would say. I mean, there is a theo- the, the theological approach of, well, how we, we acknowledge God as a trustworthy God and he would not lie. So with these accounts, we, we have to assume that these are trustworthy accounts given that we also confess that scripture is God-breathed and coming from, comes from him. Sure. Um, and I get that vantage, you know, that, that argument, and I, I would agree with that argument, but I'd qualify that argument with saying, what is he trustworthy about? Um, right. What he's trustworthy about is what the text is about. And so if we have a, a misconception of what the text is about, then it's skewing what we think God is saying through that. Absolutely. Uh, through that text. Yeah, agreed. Well, yeah, and one one uh, pushback that I hear sometimes is the it's what the Israelites would have believed when they you know read the scripture. Uh, like I've heard that for like I guess a number of things. Yeah, the flood. Um, which one? I actually don't know. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I, I don't. I actually yeah. don't know. And then two. I mean, sure, but. Like, let's just say, yes, that they believed that the flood was, like, a worldwide actual event. I mean, that's fine. They also believed that, like, the firmament was a physical dome that went around. You know what I mean? So everything that the Israelites believed and, interpre- you know, interpreted about, you know, these mythic or more cosmic narratives doesn't have to be what I think about them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that statement... I feel like there's a little bit of there's some level of speculation about that as well, right? Sure. Because let's just take into account the the history of development of these texts. What we have in our Bibles is the last is the last thing in a very long line of development development in terms of it organized it being organized in the way that we have it, and then prior to that. Uh, that section being organized the way it was, and then prior before yes. that, scribes agreeing which one was the original, and before that, sure. you know, a collecting of the different versions of the stories, and before that, the writings, and before even that, the oral traditions that right. gave way right. to those writings. So there are so many different Long levels. Long process. Yeah, and at the most ancient level, those oral traditions, and when they were first being written down, they didn't write commentaries on what is actually being 
communicated or I mean, we we've got commentaries later down the road in terms of it becoming an established, you know, religion, that sort of thing. Yes. But in terms of the earliest forms of these stories, we don't have commentaries from the people who wrote it saying this is, you know, definitively, I believe the flood event happened. And this right. is why I'm writing it. You know what I mean? So we can't say, right. I'm, I'm saying that to say, we can't say one way or the other whether or not the ancient Israelites would have literally believed in an ancient right. flood or they understood or if, as more yeah. of a theological text because we don't have those. We can make educated guesses towards that given other things, but we can't say definitively that's you know what they believed. Agreed. Yeah, I guess any closing thoughts on either of these questions? Yeah, um, maybe not just these questions, but questions overall. Um, uh, what we're guided by in terms of answering these, you know, two summarized questions that, that we talked about today and all the other questions that we uh, talked about in episodes and, and the way I think generally that we read the Bible are the few things that we pointed out in the episode prior to this, just basic tools that we can use to get at the meaning of the text and interpret it well and handle it well. And, you know, for many of us to teach it well, um, you know, a lot of our listeners are in ministry, whether it's pastoral ministry or teaching mm-hmm. a class, what, whatever that might look like. Um, we want to be able to handle the text well, or even if you're not in a faith context, to be able to understand this ancient theological text well. Um, as I've heard some people say, to be informed readers of the Bible. Um, because it's certainly more than just a throwaway piece of ancient text. It's, an, it's endured these thousands of years, and it still um, is a thing uh, around which countless people center their lives. Um, and so there's something to that. And so if we want we need to read that well. Um, so yeah, just I'd say in closing, not only this episode, but the series in general, I think the few things that we pointed out in the previous episode, like taking, like asking what it meant to them before it, reading yes. into it what it means to me or reading in community, like what you've said instead of just alone, those mm-hmm. things will help guide you um, into a, a, a better handle of, of this text. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I think that's well said. I don't have too much to add to that. It's been fun, honestly. Yeah, talking like about the, the Bible. It's our wheelhouse. <laughs> Great. Well, I guess we'll end it there. Yeah. Thanks for listening and joining in on the conversation with us. Yeah, if you'd like to support us financially, you can do so on Patreon. Uh, it's just www.patreon.com slash questions from the pew. And if you can't support us financially, please give us a good rating or review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on, and that helps others find our podcast. Also, please comment and ask questions. You can do that by following and messaging us on Facebook or Instagram. You can also leave us a short voice message or text message at 312-725-2995. If you do leave a voicemail, please keep it under 30 seconds or so and tell us your name and where you're from. We'd like to include your voicemail in our Q&R episodes, but if you prefer for us not to, just let us know and we'll include your question in another way. 
uh, and without giving away your information. Same goes for any messages you send us on social media or through text. This has been Questions from the Pew, a podcast in the World Outspoken Network. To learn more about World Outspoken and its mission to prepare the Mestizo Church for cultural change, visit www.worldoutspoken.com. For Questions from the Pew, I'm Riker Zalameda. I'm Lucas Manning. We'll see you next time. Bye.